Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 and made it to Friday afternoon, March 31st. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. Parents may have a tricky time navigating financial help to their adult kids. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, students need to be working on summer jobs and internships. Let's get some help from Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm Two Discern, based in Chicago. Rick, thanks for joining us today. And this brings back a flood of memories for me because I remember my uh, spring break of my freshman year of college back in the summer of 1999, uh, cold calling radio stations in Chicago to see if, uh, if if they had internships that were still open. And some of them had already closed down. They had filled up. I remember calling uh, the old WMAQ to see if they would let me in. They were full up, uh, taking the train downtown to visit the uh, late, great, smooth jazz WNUA to see if uh, they had room for me. And uh, finally, uh, hooked up with uh, Kevin Matthews that summer, uh, the legendary radio personality. And that was a lot of fun. But I, I found out uh, early on that uh, March might be too late when it comes to some uh, high-profile uh, summer jobs and summer internships. Yeah, absolutely. Most companies are looking or begin the process of recruiting for interns about eight months in advance of the need. So if you're looking for a summer internship, we're already behind the curve. And how many, you know, internships have changed quite a bit because there have been uh, a couple of uh, court cases and legal rulings about uh, compensated work versus uh, uh, what can you do to get college credit and what's the line of your learning and then just an unpaid employee. So are there nearly as many internships today as there were 25 years ago? There are more internships in general, and there is a, a, a general trend towards paid internships as opposed to unpaid. Uh, and there are several reasons for that. One of the primary reasons is that the internships and the people that are being hired for internships have typically useful skills as opposed to just being a stock boy at a clothing store. They actually can do some analytics and project work because they're very comfortable with the technology and softwares that do that. Um, so there, there are, there's more need for that. And if you look currently, even with the economy changing uh, a lot, a lot of companies of size are open. They have open recs of anywhere from three to 500 people. So an intern is a great temporary solution until we, until the economy settles down more. 
And then uh, how has technology changed some internships or summer job opportunities? Because a lot of people who now work in finance today uh, got their start as a runner at the Board of Trade 25 years ago. And do those jobs still exist? Well, there's a challenge there. And so what's interesting about that is I had an intern years ago who did very well, went on to Kelly Business School, got an MBA, et cetera. And, and, and so he worked for me in person, but his second job was one where he actually was recruited, uh, hired, onboarded, and didn't actually go into the office for the first three months. Now, that's a bit extreme, but the hybrid initiatives and the kinds of work that, that interns can do now unless we're talking about retail or something that's just face-to-face, means that there are a lot of opportunities to do either a hybrid or or remote work, but an intern probably needs to do some sort of a hybrid. They need you in the office just to sort of build a relationship and understand and look you in the eye before they can move you out to your house. And then very quickly, we talked about how uh, the end of March, early April might be too late. What can you do to uh, make up for lost time? I think the biggest mistake that anyone makes, and certainly the, the, the someone in high school or uh, a freshman in college would do this more than most, would assume that there's a database that you can go to that's going to generate internships. And that is, a, that is effectively door-to-door dating. Uh, you're not going to reach anybody who even knows who you are, wants to talk to you, or has any interest in talking to you. You really have to aggressively pursue your network and get into organizations. And you should Understand the internship is not about life forever. Certainly 60% of people who intern in organizations as paid interns end up working there for a few years, but it's not a, it's not a must. But getting that experience and getting something besides classwork experience is critical to you understanding how to make your move in the first, second, third job. Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm 2Discern, based in Chicago. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Many parents are willing to help their children financially, even to adulthood. But what? But doing that can create some issues. We're joined by Ed Jertson, certified financial planner and founder of the Engage Wealth Group, based in Chicago. The website, EngageWealthGroup.com. Ed, thank you for joining us today. And what are some of the issues that can crop up as parents continue to financially support their adult children? Well, Rob, we've seen this over the decades. And one of the one of the situations that come in mind for us is the great financial crisis, where there was a lot of strains going on in a lot of different households. And so for a handful of our clients, their children were reaching out to them with their hands out asking for help. And it's that balance between wanting to help your kids and then causing, let's say, financial harm to you in the long run. So there's a fine balance between assisting and subsisting and then just being there for your kids. And, and at times that, that that conversation can be quite difficult. And are we talking about uh, some parents who may be delaying retirement because they have to continue supporting their children? Yeah, absolutely. Not only delaying retirement, but cutting back on their own expenses. And I can give you sort of a strategy for some parents who might find themselves in a bind. So most of my clients are under a spending plan. My my retirees, they know how much they're spending. And when their children reach out to them for monies, 
what I often guide the, the parents to ask for is ask for their care, to ask for the kids' spending plan. Like, where is their money going? Are they trying to keep their lifestyle, you know, afloat, or is it really financially detrimental and they really do need a lifeline? So, getting transparency and information is really important because I can tell you when I've guided my clients on that, most of the kids are like, "No, we're good, thanks anyway." And then, yeah, let's talk about that because this, I always talk about how uh, when you're a financial planner, yes, there's the numbers side of the business, but you have to be a psychologist. And I think in this case, you have to be a family counselor. Yeah, I'm very careful to stay in my lane, Rob. But yes, uh, the vast majority of what we do, 85 plus percent, is, is behavioral finance, right? It's family dynamics. And the numbers as part of our business is the easy part. It's working with families and, and navigating that with families. And so ultimately, for all of your listeners, right, you don't want to cause yourself financial harm by supporting others. It's like if someone's drowning, both of you don't want to drown. So ultimately, yes, you want to be guidance, you want to give some support, but just be aware of what that support is doing. Again, is it supporting a lifestyle that might not be attainable at a certain level because of a job loss or otherwise, or are there some serious financial issues that a family have, have run into that you, you definitely need that support? We talked about some of the guide rails or guardrails that can be put in place uh, to prevent a uh, one party from taking advantage of the other. Uh, what's kind of a very easy action plan that you would recommend to people about about, uh, just spending limits or maybe a credit card or a debit card uh, to wean them off of that dependency? Well, trying to wean your, your children off of the family doles is, is, is one of the, I would say, one of the most exhilarating things for my clients, right? So their kids are finally independent and off on their own. And so ultimately what you want to do is have your kids you know, it basically invest in themselves. You know, you've been talking about jobs and internships and things like that. Getting your hands dirty early on, you know, bubble wrapping our children for the future doesn't really necessarily give them that great work ethic, if you would, from the, from the beginning. So having kids work when they're young is really helpful. And then to your point, then you create, your kids create their spending plan as the kids become adults and then they have their own families, that spending plan continues. And that's the greatest guidance that I can give your listeners is to have a spending plan understand where that money's coming in and going out knowing quite well that life is going to be uncertain and when that uncertainty comes in or when when uh, financial challenges come in that's where that family communication and dynamic can go a long way if someone truly needs a lifeline Ed Jertson, certified financial planner and founder of the Engage Wealth Group in Chicago. The website engagewealthgroup.com. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, an update on the runoff race for mayor of Chicago. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. We're in the home stretch of the race for mayor of Chicago. Let's see where things stand with Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business. Greg, thanks for joining us today. Uh, based on the latest political polling, it looks like it's a jump ball between Brandon Johnson and Paul Vallis going into Tuesday. Yeah, that is uh, that is certainly the sense. Uh, the uh, they're going around the uh, the last turn neck and neck, and they're throwing up a lot of mud on each other in the process. Um, uh, I can't pick an outcome at this point. Most of the pros I talk to say they can't either. I mean, I was cautioned against uh, analyzing early voting numbers and patterns, but uh, once again, the uh, first round pattern is seeming to establish itself as far as the early vote is concerned, and that the uh, northwest and southwest side wards, the old bungalow belt, are asserting their political power. They're, they're returning ballots at the highest rate. 
uh, they tend to vote early. They're they're voting early uh, again. Uh, on the other hand, the uh, the southern part of the lakefront, the wards that are near downtown, are not turning out quite as much as Paul Vallis would like. Um, this is an interesting thing. One of the aspects of of of, of, this ele- of the last election that didn't get enough coverage is that the, on election night, uh, when the, when the ballots were counted, Vallis uh, was ahead of, uh, of Johnson by about fourteen percentage points. Two weeks later, after all the late absentees and mail ballots came in, that margin was cut to 11, 11 and a half. Uh, that tells me that, uh, that uh, the, the ballots people have some work to do on the mail ballot side, and that, if there's, and, the, and, the, and that if this is really close on election night, Johnson might pull it out over the next few days. What's going, one of the things worth watching. I was going to say, what's going to happen if we don't have a winner on Tuesday night, and then it takes three or four days for all the mail ballots to come in. Uh, what does that do to a mayor having a mandate coming into office to lead? Uh, will that winner, whoever it is, uh, uh, be uh, cut off in the knees from the moment they step into the job? Well, I'm not sure I would go that far. Uh, but if it's indeed uh, an extremely close election, then it's a few thousand votes one way or the other, it does indeed raise the question about how do you govern a city that's divided, very much like how do you run a – how do you govern a country that's very much divided? We don't know the kinds of problems Joe Biden has had at the mayoral level. If you've got a really split, uh, uh, very strong, ideologically different uh, uh, disagreement, it, the same question is valid. Do, do we see any hints of nationalization in this very local campaign? Because over the last 30 years or so, uh, politics, at least on the national level, has become a lifestyle brand. Uh, you identify with a party, and that kind of informs all of your decision-making, from entertainment to vacations to how you vote. But you're still dealing with local issues on the local level. But is that starting to break down? Uh, it is. I think you make a good point. Um Ballas has tried to portray himself as the hometown boy uh, to some extent. Uh, uh, for instance, yesterday uh, he was he went to opening way. He had a couple bars up around Wrigley Field. Then he went to another bar in the evening around Sox Park to talk about the Sox. That's the kind of thing a, a mayoral candidate would have done uh, a couple of decades ago. But Mr. Johnson, on the other hand, held a big rally with people from out of town, Bernie Sanders, uh, Martin Luther King's son. Uh, he's he's uh, brought in all kinds of national stars uh, to help him. Uh, Elizabeth Warren. Vallis, on the other hand, has stressed endorsements from people like former Secretary of State Jesse White, a bunch of Chicago aldermen. We'll see which approach is right and which Chicagoans want, but you are right that there has been a difference of, of approach and, and uh, tactics and how the various candidates are trying to line up the votes. Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business. Thanks for joining us today. Of course, Election Day is Tuesday, and at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night, keep it right here. WBBM will count, will be along for the counting of the votes, uh, not only in the uh, mayoral runoff, but for the uh, runoff elections in 14 wards across the city. Our team of correspondents will be in the field. I'll be joined by political editor Craig Delamore and uh, former TV anchor Robin Robinson. Should be an informative night and interesting tonight. Uh, interesting night and some uh, rather interesting uh, discussion too so uh, keep it here on Tuesday evening call from mom answer it call silenced Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game that's why they make ordering from your couch easy stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game you have 47 new voicemails 
Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's news, traffic, and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Police in New York work on security ahead of next week's court appearance by former President Trump. A special report coming up from CBS News. In Entrepreneur Friday, finding success in the highly competitive and very tough restaurant industry. And when it comes to investing, it's usually best to keep politics aside. WBBM business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 245 points. The Nasdaq up 142. And the S&P 500 is up 34. We have 63 degrees right now at O'Hare under partly sunny skies, 64 at Midway, 61 at the lakefront. It's 1231. CBS News Special Report. It is all hands on deck in New York following a grand jury's decision to indict former President Trump. Here's CBS's Jim Axelrod. The NYPD has ordered every employee to report in full uniform today. That includes roughly 36,000 officers and 19,000 civilian employees. Mr. Trump continues to deny allegations ahead of his arraignment Tuesday. CBS's Robert Costa. Trump believes that the Republican Party, however, will rally around his side as he continues to seek the White House once again. Believes that his grievances, his criticism of this investigation will make Republicans feel like outsiders with the legal system, and he will try to stoke that, uh, that feeling as he continues to move toward the nomination. And supporters aren't deterred. Who cares what he does with other women? I don't care. As long as he's was doing a good job running our country, which he was. Trump's the first former president to face criminal charges. CBS News Special Report. I'm Monica Ricks. It's 1232. Stocks are trading higher. We're joined by Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Michael, thanks for joining us today. It is March 31st. So what a long, strange quarter it's been. Yeah, good afternoon, Rob, and it's great to speak with you again. You know, it ended up being a positive quarter, but as you say, it's been bumpy along the way. Uh, we started with a strong January, and then we kind of faded off, and then we're, we're finishing up strong with, a, I think, a relief rally here as that PCE uh, report came in a little bit more benign than the market expected. So we're getting a relief rally to end the quarter, and we'll see what we what we get in the second quarter. Is it uh, is is this investors saying this relief rally today and and basically all week? Is this uh, investors saying we find we we believe the banking crisis or the worst of it is behind us? Well, yeah, that's part of it. Um, whether that's true or not is a, is a big question. Um, but uh, certainly the, the biggest issues, which was the banking crisis and also inflation, have have not reared their ugly heads towards the end of this week. And and so we'll see going into the second quarter what happens with inflation and also the, the bank health um, as well. And then we'll see uh, first quarter earnings uh, in a couple weeks starting in, in uh, April. So we've got a lot still to come. Uh, the quarter's been bumpy, but it's been a positive quarter. At NASDAQ's up over 10% for the quarter. So it's been a really solid, solid quarter for all, almost all asset classes. Bitcoin's up like 80%. So it's been a great quarter, but it maybe doesn't seem that way because it's been so volatile. But, but so far, so good this year. 
And, you know, again, though, we, we have a lot to come on inflation and on, on earnings uh, very, very soon in, in the second quarter. The tech sector really took its lumps in 2022 as the era of free money came to an end. But uh, this rally that you mentioned, you know, the Nasdaq up double digits, uh, is that just simply a case that maybe uh, tech was oversold last year? Well, really, it was just that the bond rates have come down. So, uh, interest rates affect tech stocks more than than other stocks because it it uh, the, the higher rates get the more you have to uh, discount future earnings and and the high growth companies get affected the most so bond prices really have been what what has caused this tech rally and so if if you can keep yields at, on the ten year around three five where they're at right now uh, thirty years is three seven then you can continue this tech rally. Um, but that, that's really what's happened. If if bond rates go back up, you'll see tech stocks sell off again. So it's really an inflation-driven market. And right now, um, the market is, is, is believing that inflation has peaked. We will see coming up in the next quarter or two whether that's true. If it is not true, you'll see tech stocks sell off again. But, but I, I believe that, that we're going to have a further rally here in the second quarter. Bitcoin did bounce a little bit in the first quarter, as you mentioned. Uh, what uh, drove that flight back into cryptocurrency? Again, I, I really believe it. It's an interest rate-driven um, situation. Um, you, you've had rates come down, and 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 then also the banking crisis. So, you know, if if you have a banking crisis and people are worried, about, especially high net worth people, if you got 20, 30, 50, 100 million dollars in a bank and you get nervous and you would need to pull it out, where do you put it? You can't put that under, you know, under a mattress. So you got to buy gold, you got to buy Bitcoin. There are only a few think treasuries. So those things have gotten bids based on the banking crisis. So part of what Bitcoin's rally, what's driving Bitcoin's rally has actually been this banking crisis. Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, an Entrepreneur Friday, finding success in the demanding restaurant industry. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday. When it comes to business challenges, few are tougher than running a restaurant. Let's talk about finding success in the food and beverage industry with Eric Williams. He's a serial entrepreneur and co co-owner of the Bronzeville Winery at 44th and Cottage Grove in the Bronzeville neighborhood. Eric, thanks for thanks for joining us today. Don't let the name fool you, Bronzeville Winery. It's not exactly a winery. Yeah, it's not exactly a winery. It's, it's more of a wine bar, but, you know, we call it that. So I just wanted folks to know that we were focusing on something that the neighborhood didn't really have, and that's uh, that's wine. Wine and great food. Grand opening uh, April 20th. Uh, it is, in, in one respect, two years in the making, but as you say, it's the culmination of a century of community culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'll be one year uh, anniversary coming up this month. Uh, we started building it uh, right before COVID, so of course we had some supply chain issues and labor issues, but we got it done, and we've been open for, again, almost a year, and we've served over 37,000 people in the last 11 months. What have you learned in the last 11 months uh, since that grand opening? Uh, we learned that the neighborhood is really appreciative of of great things in, in the community. You know, you, you think about uh, West Loop and River North and all the north side restaurants, you know, it's a it's a plethora. You know, you, you go down Fulton, you know, Fulton Street and Randolph and, you know, Cottage Grove hadn't had a lot of uh, you know, 
restaurants and 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 and, and places for a community in a long time. And people are very appreciative that they can walk to a place and have dinner and have a drink with their spouse or their partner. Um, people are happy they they can work in the neighborhood that they live in. So that's been the, the biggest, you know, I think, uh, you know, thing that we see is that people are just happy to have something on the South side. Now you have been a uh, restaurateur for a, a quarter century. And uh, what's it like, you know, just the challenge of not only just running a restaurant, but opening it. I mean, you said it took several years until you got to the grand opening last year. Uh, how does that process begin? How do you determine site selection, menus, what the community wants? I mean, how much thinking do you do uh, before you even call a contract? Contractor. Well, actually, I'm, I have not been a restaurateur for 25 years. I've owned a retail store called The Silver Room for 25 years. So the restaurant is, 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 is new. Um, but I would say, like a lot of other people, you know, labor was an issue last year. Just finding people to work uh, was difficult. Uh, um, and, of course, supply chain issues and, of course, just rising costs of materials. You know, so those are the biggest challenges. The last four months, I've seen it things kind of flatten out and, and get a lot better. But uh, definitely the labor was the biggest issue of the first you know, four or five months. And then uh, when it comes to uh, connecting to uh, the community culture, too, I mean, there's just such a wealth of history. Uh, not only just, you know, it's it, a, a story of Chicago uh, can be found just walking down the streets of Bronzeville. So how do you try to uh, conjure up that history inside a physical location? Well, that's, that's a great question. You know, we have, you know, clients now who've been in Bronzeville for 60, 70, you know, some of them 80 years. And they remember the heydays, you know, of Bronzeville, the jazz clubs of the 40s and, you know, what it used to be. And I think for me, it was important to kind of bring back a lot of the history, not necessarily like in a literal way, but an updated contemporary version of of a very beautiful, wonderful neighborhood, you know. And so we embrace music. We embrace local art along with the culinary side of it, you know, again, most of our people who, who work there can, can walk to work. So it's, you know, it's beyond just the restaurant itself. It's a whole community that's involved in it. And it's also very easy to get to, uh, with either, you know, via the CTA or uh, the Metro Electric or just uh, driving south on Lakeshore Drive, uh, south of McCormick Place. Uh, it's, you know, the, the, tra- the transportation to and from Bronzeville and from your establishment in particular, uh, fairly simple. Yeah, you know, it's pretty easy. I mean, I'm driving all around the city, you know, every day I was, you know, downtown this morning. You know, it's literally a, a 10 to 15 minute drive from downtown. It's a, you know, a 15 to 20 minute drive from Wicker Park and Logan Square. It's not as far as we think it is. Uh, right off Lakeshore Drive, you can get off on 39th Street. Um, and, you know, it's 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 pretty easy and parking is pretty easy on Cottage Grove. So we get folks from all over. We get folks from the suburbs, from, you know, a lot of tourists. Um, and, of course, folks who live in Kenwood and High Park and Bronzeville area. Eric Williams, serial entrepreneur, co-owner of the Bronzeville Winery at 44th and Cottage Grove. has been open for almost a year on April 20th. That's the first anniversary. Thanks for joining us today. Still to come, making sure you don't allow politics to interfere with your investing plans. It's- investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Politics and investing are a potentially dangerous combination. Let's talk about it with Mark Holbert, investment 
columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Mark, thanks for joining us today. And we talk about people uh, setting their financial positions based on their political beliefs. Uh, we're not necessarily talking about uh, disinvesting from fossil fuel companies or maybe investing in uh, Donald Trump uh, publicly traded companies right now. Uh, we're talking about uh, investing based more or less on vibes if your guy is in office or if your guy just lost. That's exactly right. I, uh, in the column on the subject, I report on research where they, uh, they it's, it's a complicated way to do, arrange for a study. But what they, in effect, did was they were able to get large groups of investors in the same room looking at the uh, the market and the economy and ask them to predict what's going to happen. Should you be in the stock market? Should you be in bonds? Should you be in cash? And it turns out that the answers broke down according to their political affiliation. So that if you were, if your guy was in the White House, you were far more optimistic. And if not in the White House, you were far more pessimistic. And then it would switch the next time the the, the situation was in reverse. And so it showed that our unconscious political bias has a huge impact on what we think about uh, what's going to happen in our portfolios. And uh, that that's a dangerous mix because, uh, you know, if we're all in the same room and we're all looking at the same data, we presumably on average should come up with the same prediction as to whether the market's going to go up or down. But that's just not the case. So if you're a Democrat, you counsel uh, finding a Republican financial advisor because uh, it's benefil- ben- beneficial to get information from a different perspective. And if you're a Republican, you're better off uh, finding a financial advisor who votes Democratic. But my question to you, Mark, is if you're looking for a Democratic financial advisor, what happens when they're both busy? (laughs) Well, fair enough question. I put that line in more or less for its shock value, because you can imagine the number of angry emails I've gotten today uh, mentioning that in the column. And most people think I'm nuts. They say, you know, Democrats are right. Say, you know, I wouldn't trust a Republican advisor. They're all morons. And of course, the Republican people who email me repeat the compliment uh, with regard to Democratic advisors, even as you point out, there may not be as many of them anyway. But uh, the, uh, the, the, the broader point is that I think is in your question was uh, correctly mentioned, which is you just want to find people that you uh, you disagree with, whether it's on politics or about the economy or what have you. Basically, our tendency is that we want to find people who will reinforce our beliefs. Psychologists refer to this as confirmation bias. And if we're only seeking out people who confirm what we already think, then we're not really getting the reality check that we should have. Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Thanks for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.